Like, I'm a contract writer for 10 years. You, you've done a lot of stupid things over those years, thinking it would be good. For, for a while, we always had the idea of like, hey, you do a cross season, and then the cross season is done. Like, let's say in February, take a month off, and then you have to start training again. Yeah, when normally you just start building up again, but yeah, like, and then for a while we had like this kind of like this running gag or running trick. If you just do the hardest training after two days, you just straight back into the rhythm. For all the people listening, this is absolutely not true. So, so then we would do a, a cross season, take one, one and a half month off, start training again, and like second or the third training you do 200K, 160 miles plus 30K an hour average, just like hammer it down with some road pros who've been in Spain since December only putting the big miles in and you just come in like okay I'm just gonna go 200k like 160 miles or so with these guys and I'm straight back in shape <laughs> which absolutely doesn't work so I had a few of really bad moments uh, of those and uh... all right that was go save Andrew Muir thank you guys for tuning in don't go anywhere I'm not going to be throwing any advertisements to you guys. I just want to give you a backstory of how I got into this podcasting and what I'm going to try to improve on. I'm going to try to be in the conversation. Um, Every episode up to this point has been awesome. I'm not saying that these episodes haven't been good, but, you know, just being critical on myself I want to be enveloped more into the conversation because I think my past has brought me up to this point to be in a position of, you know, being a host of a podcast. Um, And I just want to give you guys that backstory. So through my adolescence, I got really into fitness, um, gained, I'd say, 30 pounds of muscle in two years and dove into it and, you know, tried to master that experienced so much um, throughout my life in different forms of movement and different forms of, of discovering um, my spirituality and, and becoming comfortable with who I am. Um, I had a huge shift back in 2016 on November 11th. I took some psilocybin mushrooms and it completely transformed who I was. And if, you know, ask any of my buddies, ask my family, ask anyone close to me at that time who knew me, there was a complete shift of, of ego. Um, I was, you know, before this, I was very insecure and I tried to be someone who I wasn't. And in this process, um, through this transformation, uh, moral of the story, I found complete love for myself. I found complete love for the moment and I wanted to explore that fully. I stopped really getting into the gym. Um, I didn't really care about, you know, necessarily the aesthetics of how I looked. Um, but I kept moving in a direction of of trying to discover my own mind. And so that led me into yoga and, and I enveloped into the practice of yoga and meditation and, and reading different philosophies on Buddhism and Taoism and, you know, philosophies that really aren't necessarily a religion, but 
a way of learning how your mind works and how you can be happier and more compassionate in where you are, even if you might not be in a good place, learning that, you know, you're still here now. Um, but my journey took me into yoga and I think this is a very important topic. I've wanted to, you know, tell you guys, because I think this is something that hasn't been brought up yet, but, um, I, I developed or enveloped my life around yoga. Um, I taught yoga for four years. I studied in Indonesia, getting my 200 hour certification in vinyasa. And I mean, it, it has completely changed my life and it is a big part of my life. Yes, I am a cyclist, um, pursuing a professional, you know, um, career in cycling, but I want you guys to know why I'm coming at an approach of mindset and I don't necessarily practice on a mat anymore, but my yoga is cycling. That is why, you know, I, I push the limits of my body is because it expands the limits of my mind. Um, so, you know, I went to college and studied psychology um, and in the psychology field, I was researching mindfulness. So um, kind of my whole life leading up to this point has been about learning about the mind and how we can go deeper into the aspects of mind and and kind of put a label on what cycling is for all of us. It brings a sense of stoke, you know, when you when you're on that road or on that trail and you're looking around, you're stoked. So anyway, enough with that. We're not getting into any advertisements or marketing, anything like that. You guys know what's going on, <clears throat> but I just wanted to give you a backstory before we got into this episode. Um, so you know where I come from um, when it comes to the sense of these podcasts and these interviews is um, I want something more than just this. these cool stories. I'm trying to get more um, depth and, and so that we can learn from other people how they access you know a greater sense of of connection to the greater being, you know, or whatever that might be to you. So anyway, let's get into it with Go Save and Muir. He is here in Cottonwood training for the Cape Epic, which is huge. And um, yeah, the conversation was great. And uh, let's let's collide. Let's listen. Let's get stoked with Go Save. Boom. Thanks for listening, guys. the opening jingle i'm here with gose van der muir yeah kind of how do you say it gose van der meyer gose van der meyer well welcome to the stoke podcast we're super stoked um we finally got the audio working this is gonna be oh laundry's done (laughs) (laughs) this is gonna be the final um episode where i'm gonna be freaking dealing with sound i finally got a high-tech um device so anyway go say welcome 
Yeah, thanks a lot. I'm stoked as well. And uh, Gose is in Cottonwood, Arizona, training for the Cape Epic, which is epic. Yeah, that's correct. Just like uh, Cottonwood, mega epic uh, in Arizona. Riding a lot around uh, Sedona, which is uh, super cool every day. Weather is good. At least for, for in where I'm from, it's uh, raining and gray every day. So there's been some discussion that people thought it was a little bit cold up here in Arizona. But uh, no, for me, it feels good. It's Yeah, it's super nice. Um, I, I moved from Flagstaff, Arizona, mm-hmm. so, which has like 40 inches of snow right now. So oh, yeah, so I think it's warm too. Um, the training is unreal. Uh, but anyway, um, what's the next few weeks looking like um, training wise coming to the Cape Epic yeah so also an important reason for me to come here to the US is already do a few uh, pre-season races in Europe the racing isn't really started yet weather is bad all that stuff and in Arizona was already uh, quite some races going on so also that's uh, important towards the Cape Epic besides uh, building a lot of volume a lot of like uh, 25 hour plus weeks and now on the weekend I'll do uh, do a few races, so I'll I think I do five in total, four or five races here in the U.S. Hopefully, and the rest is yeah big training. So uh, the program is actually quite simple. Let's say I train on an average twenty five hours a week, do like uh, three really long rides, one two more specific, and like every two weeks I'll uh, probably do a race. So yeah, kind of like. Of course, and the trainings are more tar- targeted, like, oh yeah, like the blocks or the intervals are more specific, but uh, yeah, in the end, it's, uh, it's a lot of long days to get, uh, yeah, to get the base miles in because it will be a long season and uh, yeah, Cape Epic is eight days, so uh, yeah, you want to be able to uh, hit that one really well. Yeah, over and over and over again. Um, and are you, so I know you're training for the Cape Epic, um, but are you doing any like hard intervals before or are you going to use the hard days as the races that you're going to be doing now so also normally around two times a week i do also ftp blocks so yeah let's say last week i did a three hour ftp training so then it's one hour in one hour out uh, riding just uh, just easy warming up cooling down and then it's one hour of blocks so they what i did i do this week was five series of five times two minutes on ftp level and every series you would go up 10 to 20 watts so and normally you just ride then on your on your functional threshold threshold power and then the next series of five times two minutes or five times a minute you would be functional threshold power plus 10 and then another series ftp plus 20 another series ftp plus 30 and then the last See, it would be plus 40 or plus 50. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, can be tough days, uh, tough days in the office. And then, uh, yeah, come back with three hours. But it's, uh, yeah, it's really the, the quality of the training is in the middle. And, yeah, then a day later, you just do five, six hours again. Damn. Um, that, sounds, that sounds intense. Um, do, you, do you like it? Yeah, so for me, it's like the very specific trainings. Uh, they pass by uh, quite quick. Because I, uh, and you kind of like ride from section to section in the training, so I don't really look at overall times or overall distances or so. I just uh, do in all the laps that I need to do, and then you're like, okay, well, this block is only 10 minutes, and then you finally tough out the 10 minutes, and you have a five minute recovery, 
and then but you go straight into the next 10 minute 10 minute block and then after all the intervals and the blocks are done you look at the screen oh shit i've been already on the bike for more than two hours well then you just pedal out for an hour and come back and like the long days like five six hours on the bike to me and up here they're super cool because eh, i trained in a new environment so like everything is new everything is exciting like all the all the roads are really nice and if you do five six hours at home where you've been training for the last 10 years yeah then the training training might go might pass by a little bit slower for your feeling but yeah up here i have a lot of fun exploring new uh, new routes and uh, yeah have a nice a nice environment that's yeah it would help a lot if especially coming to arizona and when you're doing your six hour rides you can actually see new territory and new terrain um and on that same note are you gonna kind of venture out south i know we're gonna go to um Estrella this weekend but are you gonna maybe go to tucson or anywhere else in arizona yeah i wasn't directly planning on uh, moving over elsewhere just to to do my my trainings because yeah up here i have really good training grounds i have a, I have a good home base so uh, maybe if the opportunity arises uh, when when some others are going but yeah in the end i'm training a lot of, a lot alone as well so yeah, if I'm I'm training a lot alone, or if I'm training alone here in Cottonwood, or I'm doing it in Tucson, that's not really so much of a so much of a difference. And then I rather save up on the travel and have more rest and just uh, stay up here. And uh, yeah, so it depends a little bit how it goes. And yeah, um, but I'll I'll venture around here and uh, yeah, just just ride a lot. If you do like uh, five, six, maybe even some seven hour days, you can can get pretty far up uh, different areas as well. Oh yeah, you can. You can really go far. Oh yeah. Um, and so, how long have you been racing the bicycle? I think this is my eleventh or tenth season at the international level. So, say twelve years. Twelve years. Yeah, about. I've been racing. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, how long have you been riding the bike? Well, so in the Netherlands, <laughs> you get to learn uh, to uh, to ride a bike from a very young age. So yeah, I've, I've rode from since I was super little. But uh, yeah, I've also uh, as 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 saying like, hey, I started to race, and in the same year, I I got into a cycling club and I got my my first road bike, and I started racing straight away. So I started like in that sense, if you say like, hey, I've been riding the bike competitively or like from is with like a like in a sports kind of mind. I started also as when I was 15, but yeah, so in, here in the US, for example, you have the school buses. Well, in yeah. the Netherlands, we don't have school buses. You just get a bicycle and you just have to make your way to school, no matter how far it is. So yeah. kind of like if you say like how long I've been, been riding a bicycle for a very, very, very long time. Yeah. But yeah, competitive uh, since yeah I was, I was 15 and yeah, straight away when I joined the cycling club. Um, and was racing the bicycle self pursuit for you or was there any pressure from your parents or friends or was it a very much you know self um determined yeah so i don't come from like a sports background from my from my parents or my family or or, or in any way so in that sense yeah i just uh i, I just love to ride bikes and uh, my uncle gave me a super old road bike and i was like a very very tiny guy and it was a super big bike so uh my dad had to like bend the saddle, uh, the saddle rails the other way around. So and my saddle was laying flat on the top tube, and then I could just reach the pedals, and that was kind of my first bike. And yeah, I kind of like I loved just to ride around. I was just riding around in a t-shirt and shorts, and 
yeah, that my high school at the time where I was in, the, I saw some flyers of a bicycle club and it was like more than an hour away. And uh, yeah, I joined the bicycle club because yeah, I was a very competitive kid. And before I did uh, the team sports, I, I used to play korfball, which is the second biggest sport in the Netherlands. And it's kind of like a sport, it looks a little bit like basketball, but you don't have the board behind the basket and it's like a mixed sport. So it's guys and girls. Uh, together and you cannot dribble with the ball so you can only play the ball towards each other and then move around and try to like score but I was always like a kid who always had to cry you know if we lost the game or stuff like that and then when you're like 14 15 like like you know you come in like so kind of like let's say like a puberty phase like and then my teammates they rather would be going out for, yeah the drinking age is way younger in the Netherlands for example so they would be go out or, or drink or just do that on a Friday evening while we had to play a match on a Saturday and I was just go to bed early on Friday because I wanted to win on the Saturday no matter what and then I kind of like figured out that team sports you know wasn't really the thing and then I got got the bike and I was like oh this is me with the bike and I'm responsible for my own um, my own results so uh, and then I joined up a cycling club and kind of like went a little bit learned from that and uh, yeah then it, then my career came kind of like in the roller coaster pretty quick pretty quickly yeah. um when did you know like you were you were fast you know like because there's got to be a point when you were racing and you knew that you could probably go further than where you are currently yeah so i started racing as a as a second year junior then and so then you're like 15 16 years old and well the level in the netherlands is super high and bicycles are super expensive and yeah, I just had like a very sketchy uh, aluminum bike with uh, Shimano Sora as like the cheapest Shimano groups. And I, uh, yeah, I got the 20s in classics in the Netherlands. It's like 160k, like let's say 100 mile road races for juniors. And uh, But I just love the, the off-roading, so I wanted to do uh, cyclocross. Yeah, and this I think the second or the third race I already did, I was on the podium. And then the first season I did, I did 16 races and I was, I think, nine times on the podium and I won a race at the highest level in the Netherlands. And I had like one aluminum bike with like 10 speed and then uh, uh, some people from the bicycle club uh, helped me to get a second bike. So I had a steel bike with nine speed and I just had the crappy setup, but I would be beating all the guys with the carbon bikes with the carbon wheels. and. Uh, yeah, then straight away uh, I got a lot of offers from teams, and I uh, yeah I signed a sign 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 a contract, and then I think yeah I was the only junior together with uh, Mathieu van der Poel who would have a contract already as a junior, and the year after as, yeah the day after I turned eighteen I got a pro contract. So. Damn. So, okay, and then <laughs> pretty what's, quick. what's funny when we were um, when we were riding the other day. You were telling me that when you were kind of coming into the cycling world, it was crazy competitive. Um, like Vanderpool, like all those guys oh, yeah. who you're racing, you know. And um, do you think that was a a way, or was that a good competition, especially as a junior? Do you think that helped you get to your level? Was your competition was so stout? You know? Yeah, so I only raced one season in the juniors and then straight away I had to go to under 23s. So then you straight away, when you're under 23s, you just race in the pros. So uh, yeah, I had to uh, I had to grow up really fast and adapt to the level really fast. Also, uh, 
yeah, of course, I had a, I had a contract with a, with a pro team, so I was just training with with only full time cyclists. And yeah, as, as as we discussed on the bike as well, like I'm from a super uh, strong uh, year group, so the the level I was racing in was always crazy high. I'm like just I'm the same age as Mathieu van der Poel. We always raced together from from the juniors through the under twenty threes, but also Wout van Aert. Uh, then Isabit is a year younger. Quinton Hermans is is my age. Uh, Tim Malier is, I think, uh, he was one year older. Uh, Pitcock is two years younger. Well, then you see those guys now winning in the Tour de France. And I remember at the end of the under-23s, I think last or second to last year, I was uh, I was in uh, top 10 ranked in the world in the under-23s, in, in the cyclocross then. I was doing the cyclocross. And I was the only guy who went over to the elites who didn't straight away get a pro contract. And I was top 10 in the world. So... Uh, I had to sit it out one year as a uh, as a semi pro in the elites, and then I also uh, yeah proved myself up there. So got a got a full run, but it was uh, yeah I came from a crazy competitive year group, and then uh, yeah now you see those guys winning in the Tour de France, and my career took a little bit of a different turn because yeah I was good but never good enough, you know. If you already race with those guys for so long, you kind of like also don't have like crazy illusions and. If I look back, on I still look now like, let's say 20 years ago, if I would be racing with the same level, I would probably have won a lot more races. And but like hey, it's in in all the sports where all the, the 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 overall level goes up all the time. So yeah, that's that's always easy talking, of course. But uh, yeah, yeah, I got, yeah, I was from a very very strong uh, strong year, and nowadays you see guys in the especially in cyclocross, what I followed and where I'm, I'm mainly from is. You see guys turning pro with like results that have never li- got them a pro contract uh, when like let's say five years ago. So in that yeah. sense, the world is a bit changing. Yeah, like almost you can buy a pro contract. Yeah, not not necessarily, but like because you have to be fast, you know, to race. But in a way, yeah, you think you can just you know walk on if you have the resources. Yeah, but like when I so let's say I was racing with Wout van Aert and Mathieu van der Poel and those guys, they were like first or second year under 23 and they were already winning UCI races on TV, like beating Sven Nijs, Niels Albert, you know, all those guys. And now you see, see last year under 23s who have not won a single UCI race and got some nice top 10s in pro races, but getting a pro contract. And I was like, yeah, because, yeah, of course, and the overall level might be, might be a little bit, might be a little bit lower, but. For the same for the same reason, two years uh, it can be different again. Yeah, you know, and it's also a bit like what what the don't want to say like uh, sounds a bit weird, but what the market has to offer, you know, like if this is the current level of the of the people we have, and I think yeah, you see the same in in, in soccer or or other nationwide sports. Like for example, now the U.S. Uh, female soccer team is super super good. Yeah, and a few years ago they weren't so good. Then the Dutch soccer team was super good. Well, at the moment the Dutch soccer team is not so good. Yeah. Like. For for our our our, ma- our man squad is like not good at all, but like let's say eight years ago we were in the World Cup final. Yeah, so it's always it's always morphing to the generations, you yeah. know. Um, and so, have you raced a bunch in America? So it's it is my third time over in in the U.S. and uh, I always came over for racing. So the first time I was over, I think it was three years ago, was. Uh, for a mountain biking trip so i was there i think also two two and a half months travel from mountain bike race to mountain bike race to mountain bike race also then i did the whiskey 50 up here in prescott yeah 
And last year I was also in the US for two and a half months to do the entire cyclocross season here. So then I rode, uh, I think like 20 or 22 UCI races here in the US uh, okay. before flying back to Europe. Cool. And how would you compare the the level of competition compared to Europe and America? Because from here, like from my perspective, I'm brand new to cycling. So everyone yeah. who's kind of listening to my podcast knows um, I'm, you know, two years into mm-hmm. the so on competitive marathon mountain biking and gravel racing. Yeah. Never done cycle cross. I've never raced my road bike. So I am like a fresh mind in this conversation. So yeah. I'm, re- I'm truly asking out of curiosity, like what is the difference from Europe and America? Like what's, I think the I think the biggest difference is is the like the overall approach in the sport because eh, especially if, if you're young and you have a lot of ambitions in, in Europe like the 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 puddle to feed from is is very 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 big so let's say where there's in Europe 200 guys battling it out for 10 contracts it might be in the US 50 guys battling it out for 10 contracts so in that sense it's 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 easier to find a sponsor or find a spot in a team here because in like the overall line the level is is a bit lower in the US but for example if you look at the mountain biking and the side from Europe and then from the Netherlands eh, but Netherlands Germany uh, Belgium the, the level for the mountain biking is maybe a little bit lower because the racing is is way different here in the US you have a lot of and eh, those backcountry racing long marathons and the heat and the rocks we don't have these kind of races in Europe, so you get a lot of riders here who like specialize in a certain kind of racing. And now you see it with the gravel racing being so huge in in the U.S. And yeah, it's still yeah, it it's coming in Europe, but the racing, especially the gravel racing, is so different in in Europe than than it's for example here. And if you would go to a gravel race in Europe, let's say ninety percent of the races, you're faster with a hardtail mountain bike with like eighty mil suspension. Really? Yeah, but in the US, if you come, I've been riding these beautiful gravel roads around here. They're just as hard packed and as flat as, as some highways we have. Yeah. So and then in that sense, hey, like it, it, the, the the thing the country has to offer is also also very different than here in the US. It's especially the races is more backcountry and marathon oriented, and in Europe, like cross country is the prime. Yeah, especially if you come more towards the Alps, and then if you look more into the marathons. Um, all our marathons are like 3,000 meters of climbing. Yeah. Which is like 9,000 feet. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like all the freaking time. So here you have a lot more like flat marathons and different kind of racing. So, and, and the thing you saw as well maybe is, hey, European guys have a hard time adapting to the racing here. So you can be a top guy in Europe and coming here in the mountain bike scene. It's not that you're going to roll up all the races here. But then on the other hand, like when the US guys come to roll up to Europe to race, it's also not that they're gonna roll up all the races here. So in that sense, and I don't, it's, it's a bit weird to say maybe like the overall level is a little bit lower, but also yeah, keep in mind, like a lot of countries in Europe is like cycling is religion. So people approach it also way different and it's probably may, more people who actually are in the sport. So then the, the talents who stay in will have a lot higher level where in the US they're like, already happy if more people stay in you know so yeah yeah and that's that's a really good point because i haven't really seen a bunch of big backcountry races in europe 
it's mostly cross country. Yeah. Like those 23 mile, like really hard efforts. Um, and like in my, in my experience, like I want to specialize in 50 to a hundred to 150 mile mountain bike. Yeah. Gravel races. Like that's just what intrigues me. I think that's what's, it's interesting in America is like, you know, you can have a kid growing up here who looks up to all the European races and mm-hmm. the Tour de France and so forth, but can say, well, I, I want my discipline to be ultras, you know, yeah. in, the, in the far future, like, um, and they can make a living off that, right? Like they could be like, I want to race my bike against uh, Kurt Ruff Snyder, who's, you know, doing amazing, huge 500 to a thousand mile, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. um, FKT attempts. So I don't know, I guess Europe, it sounds very, uh, like in, in a box, like you got road racing or cross country. And I guess in America it's more like, Oh yeah, well we just like riding our bike and I like riding 55 miles at whiskey. Um, and, but that's all, that's all I do. I, I won't, I won't touch the road bike, yeah. you know? So, so, um, and like how, how, how would you think? I mean, how's your experience coming here for the whiskey off-road? Yeah, so so in Europe, like, uh, they like to keep uh, the sport of cycling, it, it's quite conservative. They're like, this is how we've always done it, so this is how we want to keep it, and this is, like, a success factor. And you see it also in the way the UCI approaches the races. And the thing you see here in the US is they kind of, like, have their... Um, hardly, I almost want to say, like, their own leagues. There's not so many UCI races here in the US. Yeah. So for me, it's like if I need points for the world ranking, because in Europe, everything is based off that whole world ranking. But here in the US, they look look less at that. And then you see and with the Lifetime Grand Prix stepping up and then Epic Rides and these awesome races, did a few of them. Super well organized, super cool, good price purse, no, no UCI points. But in the end, like if you're a pro rider, UCI points don't pay the rent as well. And then you see here in the US, like they you have more famous events so if you like as you say like you can make a living of doing ultras or doing specific races then if you're the guy who won that race then everybody's like oh dang whoa shit yeah we know that race but in europe you have more like the the classics that are known like the road races but then the mountain biking they also don't really know so much races and then they look more like oh you're so, so high, ranked so high in the world or you do this or you do, do that so that's way easier for the teams to to pay you for but for us it's really hard to judge the us races like what's a famous one what's a big one what's uh and now you saw for example with with keegan swanson he got selected for world championships on the road based on what what he's shown in like here in the us and the lifetime grand prix and some of the gravel races yep and that's, you can win every single gravel race in Europe, every single mountain bike race. You will never be selected for world champs on the road. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. And I think it goes back to like what you said is Europe, like in Europe, it's very conservative. Yeah. Stick to your ways. This is how we're going to do things. Mm-hmm. Even if there's a runner up, this kid who just rips it. I mean, who could probably beat some of the guys at the world cup level yeah. won't be picked. But Keegan Swenson gets picked to do a World Cup when he doesn't even race a road bike. Yeah, World Championships he did. World Championships. Yeah, yeah. World Championships. Excuse my my 
you know, uh, world championships on the road in Australia. Yeah. When I saw that guy in the lineup, I was like, dang, that that lifetime Grand Prix or that stuff, all, all those gravel races in the US, like they they really put put a lot more value on that than they put in Europe. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that's the biggest thing right now. Oh yeah. In, in America. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I I could not even tell you. Just like I said, I'm new. Yeah. I couldn't even tell you how I would even start to add my UCI points. I don't even know what really the UCI is. You know, that's just it. I think this is why this conversation could be so good is I'm just so ignorant to the, to, or unknowledged about kind of what it takes to be at the World Cup level. Mm -hmm. I'm from Gunnison, Colorado, where, you know, the backcountry race at our local trail, trailhead was the shit, you know? So like, (laughs) um, it's just so funny to, you know, talk and, and have our cultures collide a little bit. Um, cause yeah. I'm not even at your level, you know, I'm not even close to your level. You're, you're racing Cape Epic here in the next few months, but, um, I just want to, yeah. Anyway, that's funny. I, yeah. Like things in Europe are also super different. I remember also or here in the U S I'm sorry. And then say like, Oh, I'm going to do a, do a local race here. And then, uh, okay. So I ask like, okay, well, um, uh, maybe I want to do the local race. I have a big training plan, but yeah, let's, let's go to the local race. Let's do that. And, in our mind, if you say like, oh, I'm going to do a local race, you just step on your bike at home, cycle to the race, do the race and cycle back home. And then I figured out the hard way that like a local race here in the US is like, if, it's, if it was like, oh, it's only a four hour drive. And I'm like, I, I could have passed three countries in a four hour drive and I'm yeah. not going to France for a local race this weekend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, that, that's, that's very, very different. And then, yeah, for us, it's, and when you say like a hey, local race, the local trailhead is the shit. Like, if, if when I grew like I grew up in like a super dense dense country in the Netherlands, where also like for us backcountry racing or gravel racing is also hardly possible. Same as like in Germany, it's hardly possible, and that's why it has a hard time to pick to pick up in Europe because of all the one million permits you need to get. So so that's also why hey, we stick more to the cross country racing because oh, it's, it's easier and actually doable to organize and you see a lot of the gravel races and a lot of beautiful awesome mountain bike races are all being held in italy i race a lot in italy because yeah in italy they are a little bit easier with the permits and just hold super cool races and there's like they have some some different traffic laws up in the mountains so which can be dangerous at some times because for example like a lot of the gravel roads high up in the mountains in the alps or in the dolomites they are all uh part of like old army roads and because they're old army roads for like the like the defense systems and all that they're being added to the official uh, official road network so you're officially to ride and race and do all that on them so it's way easier for them to organize races as well on those on those mountain roads which would never be possible in any other country so you yeah. kind of like have to find your way around in that as well a little bit yeah because here we call up the National Forest yeah. Service. Say, hey, you know, we got a fun race. We're gonna plan this year. Can you check it out? And usually, it's pretty easy to get uh, to get a permit um, here in the U.S. That's why you could see some of these really big races that go on. You know, um, but it, it's just weird. It's just a different uh, different culture. Oh yeah, and here and where I'm from, like everybody owns like this tiniest little piece of land, and there's one million environmental rules which 
are good, they are there, but then if you say like, oh, I want to go do a mountain bike race or we want to do just a cycling event, then you have to, sometimes you need, let's say if, if the course is, is 50 miles, you need 70 permits. Yeah. And then every single person has to say yes. That's crazy. Yeah, so, and then one says no, you don't have an event. Really? Yeah, or you have to like detour all around because you can't ride this quarter mile strip. Um, do you have any like ultra races? Yeah, we got quite a, quite a few, quite a few. Uh, but you mean like ultras as in like 1,000 miles? Yeah, like... Yeah, so, so, we, so we got like hey, those ultra races got picked up a lot in Europe uh, with like the, the divide or the race around races. So let's say we can do a European divide, which is also more of like a fastest known time uh, race. But you also have a lot of uh, border bash races. So you do a lap around the country. And then everybody has like these GPS trackers. You do the dart watching. Like dart watching is pretty popular in Europe. Yeah. And then you have race around the Netherlands. I think that course is 1,200 miles. It's a lap around the country borders. Yeah. Then you just did a lap around the entire country. And then you have race around Germany. Well, that's, that's way more. And then you have race around Czech Republic. So they, they make loops that are just as, as much as possible on the outside borders of the countries. And they're pretty big. And yeah, of course, then you have the Atlas Mountain Race, uh, for example. It's in Kyrgyzstan, I thought it was which is super popular on the European riders. And yeah, I know a few, few riders who, who manage to make a, make a living out of that, but it's also more in like the, and they do the races, but then the whole, they make super awesome documentaries about it. We yeah. have, uh, have you heard of uh, Stefan? Yeah, the so on, you, on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how, how far that, how far is that one? Oh man, like, don't ask me. It's, uh, I know he wins them all and he is like, I don't know, he just never sleeps and it's like weeks. Like, I think he did it that one in like 10 days or so, like almost two weeks. And he'll go 10 days without even sleeping. Yeah, so 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 the ones that are like, I think the, the 15, uh, like the 1,000 mile ones, he, on average, he sleeps like less than an hour on those. That's insane. Yeah, he was, uh, we, we, for, for a while we had the same bike sponsor. He was, I think he won the Atlas mountain bike race on, uh, on a bump track bicycle. Or something no way. Like yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. Yeah, he's a, he's a really nice dude. Met him a few times and yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot more, more guys in that. Yeah, for example, uh, UK rider Josh Abbott. Yeah. He is, uh, he's really big in that and does a lot together with Siofan. Uh, oh man, my French isn't, isn't super good. So I might pronounce his name a little bit, a little bit wrong and. Yeah, they he writes a lot, does a lot of these races in Africa as well, and yeah, uh, yeah if you follow those guys a little bit, they do a lot of crazy things, and a lot of my sponsors have asked me also to do that, but I've all, uh, I always told them, like, I just, I only want to do races with start and finish on the same day. Can be multiple days in a row. Do you see yourself maybe in the future when, you know, your pro contract's up, and um, you don't know what else to do? Yeah, I would love to do that. I've... I've done a few of those uh, those trips with my friends, as in like we went on uh, <laughs> on a training camp. Yeah. Just ride two hundred kilometers every day with a with a sleeping bag and a, and a tent or so, and then uh, we just ride two hundred k, end up somewhere, camp out there, ride two hundred k the next day, end up somewhere, camp, and uh, yeah. For example, one time we said like, oh, maybe not the best uh, pro athlete uh, pros, but we were like, yeah, we don't run the ride with headwind. So we just only tailwind and we just see where we're coming. <laughs> so we, yeah. And then we just did that for three, four days and then uh, took the train back. Oh, and then you just took the train. 
Yeah. See, in America, we don't have that. Yeah, so we have super good public transportation. So wherever you end up in Europe, you just buy a train ticket and you can be home the same day or maybe the next day. It depends on where, a bit on the time you yeah. stepped in. But uh, yeah, just take the train back. And so um, it was you and a few buddies did it? Yeah. And uh, we, I also rode around the Netherlands with uh, two buddies, uh, Joris Nieuwenhuis and Stan Godry, also both uh, pro riders. So we were just like three pre, three pro cyclists doing this like backpacking trip training camp like oh say and everybody knew some people somewhere so we just and otherwise yeah the, when you when you're a pro cyclist in the netherlands often you yeah quite some quite some people follow what you do and hey yours uh, my mate just uh, i think he did his first tour de france and that year so we just like put some tweets out like hey we need a place to sleep in, uh, around this village for the coming tonight. And like a lot of people, oh yeah, you can stay with me, you can stay with us, you can stay with us. You just cycle from random people to random people and just like, yeah, as I said, around. So did you have any bags? Like, did you, t- did you take a bunch of stuff with you? Yeah, just, just underwear and a pants. That's it? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was it. Like, and then, uh, oh yeah, not even shoes. We were just without shoes. And then... Uh, yeah, just like, yeah, crash at people's... Also, just like, yeah, put some social media things out there. And uh, a few years ago, I did it as well to visit all my sponsors. And then I cycled over the Alps. So I started in Switzerland and had a few sponsors in Italy. And uh, But uh, one of my sponsors, the plan wasn't really clear what I was doing. And uh, because they were like, yeah, when do you come and this and this? I was like, yeah, maybe Wednesday morning and maybe Thursday afternoon. Depends a bit on the weather, but it was like a thousand mile uh, pedal, you know, like, yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I can't say like in three days at 10 o'clock in the morning, I'm at, at your place. You know, yeah. like, a lot can happen along the way. So, uh, and in the end, like I just rolled up at my, in my bike there with the bags and they were like, did you really cycle here from home? Because I live in Germany. I was like, no, no, no. I started in Switzerland. So I was like halfway. Yeah. Uh, and they, I remember they were like, so they were like absolutely flabbergasted and then. There was a super old lady who was doing the at the at the hotel, and she was just like hugging me as an, as like, yeah, you could stay an extra night, and we'll make some extra food for you. I was <laughs> I was just fully worn out from like riding in the rain two days, yeah, just to visit my sponsor, and then we had like this really fancy dinner in the evening, and I was just yeah, just had one pants and and one semi clean t shirt, so uh, yeah, I was a bit underdressed for that one, but. Uh, Dang, so you so you've experienced with kind of the ultra stuff. Oh yeah, I I love that, but I just don't want to sleep in a ditch. Yeah. So the thing is, I can, and for me, is like I love camping and sleeping at, at at weird places, but those ultra ultra races they take such a heavy toll on your body. And yeah. as as Sam, when I'm still there, for me it's it's the pro racing which which still is the most important. And yeah, for a professional athlete, sleep is just as important as as training. So then I prefer to. Uh, yeah, for example, like if you would do such an ultra trip or an ultra race, like the recovery time is super long. Yeah. And yeah, when you when you race for a living, if you do something but you can't do something else for like the next two three weeks at like a decent level, then yeah, you kind of like hand in another paycheck as well. So that's a thing. Like in Europe, it's yeah, we especially here in the US, you it, you can get away with like doing less less events and have good storytelling and stuff around it, but yeah, like most of the guys in Europe and also in my case, we, we're being paid to race. Yeah. So also like on training or at race, you don't do stupid stuff. Yeah. And when I was a bit younger and I was contracted with teams for five years, so then the situation is, is a little bit different, but it's still like, hey, we pay you to do bike races, not to do a backflip with your mountain bike or, or a jump off 
three meter drops and 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 break a bone and be out for six weeks like hey then you just don't jump off the thing yeah uh, so then hey you you kind of like your mindset changes uh changes a little bit in that sense and yeah you start to ride a lot more with your head instead of just like being a full-out sender knowing like oh if i'm out for six weeks i miss certain amount of paychecks uh, at the end of the at the end of the six weeks that makes yeah that makes a lot of sense yes yeah. here it's like some people's paycheck is the ultra races yeah you know writing articles yeah, about course. it and stuff like that so it's a complete yeah in your discipline this is the whole enchilada yeah oh i did that one <laughs> you three, did yeah three years ago on uh on my heart on my uh, full suspension bike oh yeah on the mill yeah. did you go yeah up it yeah so, so first i cycled up here up the thing i was staying in moab so i cycled up the thing i got passed by all these shuttle vans and they were like yeah what's this, what's this gangster doing here and it's like <laughs> light crime it was like these enduro guys with like the trail bikes yeah and you're on like a xc xc spandex. Bike, spandex and a small helmet i was and I just downloaded the route, you know, like a TPX file. I was like, ah, oh, this doesn't look too long. I was like, used to like doing 100 miles or so, you know, like just riding. But you, the whole enchilada trail, you don't go so fast. No. <laughs> How long did it take you? Oh, fuck. I, was, I met some guys along the road. I was like out of food, out of water, out of everything. And well, I was just like battling on and they were just shuttled up and they were like, they had a big pickup truck at the bottom. And and then they, uh, I rode the last part with them. But then I also had to cycle all the way back to Moab because that's why I was staying. Dude, I was I was dehydrated almost and everything. And then I came to their truck and they gave me food and drinks and everything. And then uh, I sat in the back of the pickup truck and they drove me back to Moab. Nice. Yeah, so, yeah the full enchilada is like intense. Oh it's yeah. Huge. So I don't know if, if if those guys listen to podcasts. I don't remember your names anymore. If you three years ago, if you picked up a guy. Underbiked, underdressed, underprepared for the whole enchilada trail was me, and uh, thanks again. <laughs> no way. Yeah, if you're those guys, let, yeah, give Goshi a t- uh, direct message on Instagram. Oh, yeah. I'll, 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 yeah, I'll send you a jersey or send you, send you anything. Because, uh, yeah, because like the trail in the distance, it doesn't look like, oh, it's going to take so much hours. No. And then you're there, like, oh, dang. It's like five or 6,000 feet of climbing, I think. It's huge. Oh, man, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, so, um fun fun question um what's what's the hardest day you've ever had on the bike so uh hardest day like i've done some pretty hard uh hard rides because yeah i'm as I said, like I'm a contract rider for 10 years. You, you've done a lot of stupid things over those years, thinking it would be good. For, for a while, we always had the idea of like, hey, you do a cross season, and then the cross season is done. Like, let's say in February, take a month off, and then you have to start training again. And when normally you just start building up again, but yeah, like, and then for a while, we had like this kind of like this running gag or running trick. If you just do the hardest training after two days, you just straight back into the rhythm. For all the people listening, this is absolutely not true. So, so then we would do a, a cross season, take one, one and a half month off, start training again, and like second or the third training, you do 200K, 160 miles plus 30K an hour average, just like hammer it down with some road pros who've been in Spain since December, only putting the big miles in, and you just come in like, okay, I'm just gonna go 200K, like 160 miles or so with these guys, and I'm straight back in shape. <laughs> With 
Yeah, I'm doing the Cape Epic with Nikki Turbstar. Yeah. Yeah, I've been training with those guys up a few times. And yeah, they... So if people ask me like, or if I if they ask me like, hey, what kind of job do you do? And say like, hey, I'm a, I'm a professional cyclist. And always, always the follow-up question is, have you ever done the Tour de France? And it's like, no, I've never done the Tour de France. And, uh, and then I always say like, you know, like, I'm really good at riding bikes. But I'm not so fast. <laughs> so that's why I'm a mountain biker. Like yeah. I, on the road, I'm just not good enough, and I don't have like the I don't have the the power to do like 60k an hour for I don't know how long. And uh, those guys have, you know, Nikki Taps or Eva Slick, eh, one unbound uh, last year. A few times went uh, training with those guys, and then we go on big rides, 180k, which is like I don't know, 100, 140 miles, 120 miles. But there's two rules. There will never be a cutoff. So 180k is 180k. And we don't turn around if it's raining. Because it can rain in the race as well. And I remember a few times with those guys, they were like, at one point, oh, they were like, Eva, the guy who won Unbound. He was like, oh yeah, I have to do some, uh, I have to do some short blocks now. Like I have to do like, not super hard, but it's like, yeah, maybe like 15, 20 minutes. Okay. And those, I'm a tiny guy. Not a tiny guy. I'm not a big guy. Those guys are all very big, very tall. So I was hiding behind them. I was riding 450 watts in the wheel for 15 minutes. I'm just chugging away caffeine gels, <laughs> black in front of my eyes. <laughs> and then it was like a six hour ride as well. <laughs> so yeah, normally, normally I talk a lot or like just like to have some conversation. I think I've, I've said 10 words in that entire day. <laughs> 450 watts for 15 minutes in the wheel on the wheel on the wheel man yeah yeah but then but keep in mind like they never pedal below 250 watts so they ride constantly against 300 watts but they're like so i'm 60 kilos so they're like 80 to 90 kilos so then i have to pedal 250 constantly and then like yeah if you do like 140 150 miles like so let, let me say i should not be go riding with those guys every day because i'll be overtrained within two weeks yeah so i've had a few i've had a few uh, bad moments but i hope they don't listen because uh i i try like uh how do you say like uh, fake it out yeah and just like put the poker face on and just uh and it's not even hard yeah no. just like, yeah i just don't have any stories to tell at the moment yeah super easy yeah i can just like nod yes or no just ask me yes or no questions <laughs> um, yeah I have, a, I have a few i have a few rough days up there but they make you uh yeah those are the days that make you make you better and then uh, yeah if you do them now and then and it's always so well like with with the very big trainings let's say like if you do like this the six hour ones plus six hours like the whole thing is like what we always say it's like it's only the last hour that matters yeah. And you do the five hours pre riding to get your <laughs> get your body in a certain state where you're like, oh fuck, everything hurts. My body, my brain, everything. And then that last hour if you can keep riding just as fast as you do it the first hour, then you know you're making steps. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um so how does that how is that kind of your approach to leading up to something like Cape Epic? Because like I can't even wrap my like my mind around a race with such caliber first eight days of racing at a very fast pace mm -hmm. and your partner is f freaking ridiculously fast 
Um, <laughs> and so do, do you have to stay with your partner with like a minute or two? Yeah, you always ride together. You have to ride together. Yeah. Um, and so like what's your approach? I mean, training-wise, mindset, and recovery. Like how are you kind of coming into this? I think maybe, maybe it's good to notice that uh, I've, I've raced with Nikki before at the stage race. We did the Transalp, which is like the kind of like the Cape Epic from Europe. It, it's uh, seven days. It starts in Germany or I think that, that the other start was in Austria. And then you go all the way over the Alps and the finish is every year in uh, Riva del Garda in Italy. And uh, he was riding for the direct energy team uh, that year right, with Peter Sagan and those guys. And uh, it's, a, it's a pro continental team, so it's not a world tour team. And I think somewhere in, in, in the summer they had a big gap in the calendar, it was Tour de France. The team was riding the Tour de France, Nicky wasn't riding. And uh, then he, uh, he, he, uh, he, he asked me like, hey, do you want to do the Transal with me? And, and so I, uh, I remember like, oh yeah, it would be cool. Because yeah, of course he's he's a, he's a legend. Eh? one Paris Roubaix, one one Flanders, like, and uh, but he never mountain biked. So until the day before the before the start, we went riding together. He had never ridden a mountain bike. What? He had never ridden a mountain bike in his life. Like so 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 he come up there and he was like, like do you know how the suspension works? He didn't even pump up his suspension. I took my sus- suspension pump out. I was like, hey, how much pressure do we need to put in there? And I remember like, uh, so in, in the Netherlands, we have a lot of these criteriums after the Tour de France, you know, and uh, yeah, I've met him at a few, few of those races, but you know, like, yeah, it's, those are like the big guys, you know, I'm like a nobody at those races. So like, I just said like, hi, I just waved and just like, he nodded back and that was kind of like all the communications we had in the, 10 years prior to this race and then I was doing a, a seven day race with him and uh, but kind of like the, the good thing was like uh, he, he was looking for a partner first he would do it with Eva hey, or one year later unbound but Eva was in the road team and had to do some races and uh, they, he needed another partner and, and some of his friends say like you should ask Gossip because yeah he's been doing this kind of like for his entire uh, career and like the it's, it's like doing these stage races, like these week races and these marathons. It's kind of like a craft on its own, you know? Like, a, how do I approach it? You need to be a really good mechanic because in a mountain bike, as you know, you have to repair your own stuff. But like seven, eight days on a mountain bike is hard on the body. So you need to be tactical with the riding, but also with your materials all around. So he was like, okay, you should, you should go with Gossa. He knows everything. We'll take care of everything. You will be fine. So he asked me. And as you said, like those guys are ridiculous strong not necessarily ridiculously fast and I, I know like the two weeks prior i was nervous you don't want to know i was like this guy is gonna completely destroy me because i had some i knew like hey if you can win flanders and roubaix you have like a very big engine which i don't have so i would i knew like this guy can just push push four on the watts for five hours and will be fine and i can't but as you know on a mountain bike it has trails it goes up, goes down. And well, Nikki is really, really, really good with the big engine on the road. And it's flat and it's going straight. Well, luckily that doesn't happen so much in the mountain biking. So already at the first in the first states, I have to I had to wait for him like 80% of the time. Because it's called mountain biking. And like those guys are so used to just like turning the big ring for 200k a day. But yeah, in the mountain bike, if you go up, like he would hardly shift. 
he would just hardly shift to a lighter gear. He would just stay like on the bottom four or five gears and just like tough it out. So as soon as like the we would ride up more than three percent, like I could just like start eating gels and bars and look around, because yeah, I I kind of like was was in a way way better position than him. So I I for me it was such a such a giant relief that first day is like like okay on the single tracks I can just recover and in the mountains I can just look around a little bit like me and I just have to take care if he was safe and. It was, uh, I think it was super cool. It's like, uh, yeah, like he had to like fully trust on me. So that was like, uh, uh, especially on the trails, we were like riding high up in the, in the Alps and the Transalp is absolutely not a technical race. Like for us in Europe and as mountain bikes, we often often refer to it as the Transasphalt because it, it has a lot of tarmac sections in between. So so that's that's that was good for, for Nikki as well. But uh, yeah, I figured out really quick, like, okay, so this is his first time on a mountain bike. We have a long way to go. He has the absolute power, but like mountain bike is a sport, like you're not put, putting constant power. And eh? sometimes if it's steep up or sometimes you have to hold in a little bit because it's some rocks, it's some, you really have to ride well with the bike. And it's, it's different than riding on the cobbles where you just have to keep a really high power, hold your bars a little bit loose, ride in the middle. And uh, so I remember like, up to that race, I was super, 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 super nervous. I, I think at, at the at, before the start of the first stage, I had to go to the toilet like five times. I was like, oh shit, this guy. And I think I took like six caffeine gels with me. Well, can you imagine that? Like that was in my mind to bring six caffeine gels on the first stage, and it was a seven day. So then, so that that was my mind. So I was like, oh shit, this is gonna hurt like hell for a week. But in the end, it was was all good. The only time, two times it really hurt was when we had to cross a 25-kilometer valley, which is like 16-mile valley, which was flat, or like 1% up. And he would just do like two, three-minute pulls at like no, 450, 500 watts. And then he would just elbow me like, oh, now you have to go. And then I would just do like 30 seconds. And I would sit in a wheel for another three minutes again, do another 30 seconds. And I remember I was just chugging away uh, gels at that section, and the rest of the day was was good again. So, uh, and now for the for the Cape Epic, we're uh, we're back riding again, and uh, yeah, I'm kind of like yeah, for him more also a a guiding rider. So he uh, always rides, let's say five meters behind me, especially on the trails. And during that first week or that yeah, that week in the Alps was super awesome. Like as I said before, like he had to fully trust me. And he was just always riding behind me, and I was just I would just yell three things: left, middle, or right. As in, like when this big rocky section coming, like hold left, hold middle, or, or hold hold right, like wherever the line would be, or the rocks, or like whenever something was too technical or would would be too sketchy, we just had to step and step off and walk down. And yeah, especially in the beginning, there was a bit uh, kind of like a. a uh, a mental step for me because yeah when you mountain bike for 10 years like you don't step off for a drop yeah you just ride off lean back a little bit and yeah assume it will be fine and 95 percent of the time it is fine and now if i if we would would ride off like 40 centimeter drop i had to like stop and like hey let, let's just walk down be sure blah 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 because yeah if someone has never ridden a mountain bike and you're also riding with with such a rider he still had a contract with the team so yeah, he can also just don't call his team and you're like, hey, I crashed out in this mountain bike race in the Alps. I did with this like random guy who thought I could ride off a one meter drop and then broke my collarbone and be, be out for a few weeks. So yeah. uh, And in that week was super, super awesome. At one point, like, yeah, we 
really got it dialed in. I knew exactly what, what kind of like the max was, what, what he could and would write. And he would just like fully blindly trust me. And yeah, that's, uh, that's super cool. And now as well, for me, this opened up the possibility to do the Cape Epic because yeah, as you, as you might know, it's super, super expensive, super expensive event. And uh, well, uh, Nikki retired a few, few weeks ago and uh, kind of like retired from professional road cycling but he's not retiring from cycling at all so people don't be uh don't don't think you'll you lost him you'll see him a lot over here in the us and uh, then he was like okay now hey we had so much fun that time in the alps i want to do the cape epic and i only want to do it with you so he he called his management and he, he just called his management like hey who'd been managing him his entire career through quick step and to direct energy and all those teams got him like really big contracts just as i said calls manager yo man i want to do the cape epic and i want to do it with this guy and can't cost any money and then he called me like hey man do you want to do the cape epic with me and i try to say like very casual like yeah yeah sure let's do the talk yeah let's stay in touch but yeah yeah i think i'll i think i'll be free and then i hung up the, hung up the phone and just called all my friends like dude i'm gonna do the cape epic it's so super stoked no and blah 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 and uh yeah, so uh, for me, it's also otherwise would not be be possible to get in such a race. So yeah, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super grateful, and that's also like, hey, I'm here in, in the in in Arizona now for two months, just to kind of like train my balls off to be on the top of the game in that race, and and after the Cape Epic is is many more races coming up in Europe as well. So uh, yeah, I I'm, I'm 200% sure I'll be ready. So uh, yeah, in that sense, uh, we'll be sick. Yeah, because there's. I need to take you on a bunch of trails that you haven't ridden. Oh, yeah. Like? Like Sedona, all those red rocks. Sedona, Mingus, um, just the Mingus in general. I mean, it's a 3,800-foot climb to the top. So we can, we can do some cool stuff. But, um, yeah, that's, that's crazy. Like, just the dis- discipline. I mean, he could be, you know, one of the strongest road racers and then get on a mountain bike and be completely out of his element. Oh, yeah. Um, and like, are you guys going to, you know, try to not win it? Well, so of course you have to be you have to be realistic. And for me personally, um, I, I'm not not good enough to win. Yeah. Uh, easy as that. But also, like, if you if you want to be super competitive at these races, then you need, excuse me, a really 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 strong partner as well who's really good mountain biker. So I think in that Transalp that year we finished seventh. Dang. But I would, I, I'm sure, like, hey, I would be good enough to win the race. But then you need someone who's like a mountain biker of the same level. And now, for example, we lost all the times on the on the single tracks. So like, hey, we just got passed by a lot of duos on the single tracks. But then we would just absolutely blow away everybody on like just the gravel roads because yeah, then he just revs the engine and then just uh, sends it down and yeah that will probably be in south africa the same and it's it's a bit of a stronger set race but yeah like like an athlete like like nikki and also if you look at his, his palmares the things he's won like those guys don't go to races for fun of course it's a lot of fun but they're like so super competitive so knowing like he might have retired for uh from professional road cycling but that guy is like training so hard still every day and then he's like (laughs) 
then he takes my Strava as well. He's fo- he follows me very short on Strava if I'm doing my trainings good enough or whatever. And then he just texts me any other day like, hey, I was going there. Like, hey, what's the training stats? I was this and this. So, yeah, we... Uh, so he's keeping you... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, we're there for like super, super serious. And to me, and, and I think that's also why Nikki and I uh, connect so well together. Besides, we're like absolute opposites, water and fire like personality wise but if it comes to one thing and and that's also what i've i've, I've, I've always done and 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 what's also super important to him uh, i think it's really important to understand like if you're raised on a professional level everybody's good yeah no one has a job everybody has all the time of the world to train and the races are being decided in the details so if, if everybody can train unlimited, everybody has a lot of resources and it's like the time and the effort you want to put in, of course, and talent and like physical capabilities you're born with uh, play a role. But like races are being won or lost in the details. And that's something I've already knew from a very young age, knowing like, hey, I grew up and came up racing with very strong guys, but I was never the best. So I managed to win so many races by having all the details, everything dialed and yeah, he, he already saw that straight away at uh, Transal when I made the whole preparation and now as well for the Cape Epic. I write out everything, make all the lists, packing lists, material lists. Uh, I make giant Excel files of both our bikes that we have all exactly the same. I make sure I have all the tools, all the tires. I already know like at the third stage at which kilometer or which point I'm going to eat which bar and which gel and kind of like it's so prepared well in the details and he is also super, super, uh, super strong in that. So then you, then you find yourself a super good partner. And our physical capabilities might not match up. So like he's way stronger than me. I'm way, way more technical than him. So we kind of like have to yeah, find, find a midway in that. But yeah, the level of detail is just so, so super high. And that's, that's super important if you want to race at this level. Knowing like, hey, he's, not, he's, he's not a mountain biker, he's, he's a road racer. So that will will definitely um, play a big role in the end results. But yeah, we the goal for sure is to to get a top twenty uh, at the Cape Epic. Well, after a week of racing, we'll see how it goes. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm convinced we we can reach it, and uh, yeah, that's something we work work really hard for. Yeah, that's a stout result. You can get top twenty at Cape Epic. Oh yeah. Um, do you have, what? What's some good advice you have for you know? Uh, 14 to 18 year old in um well not in the u.s but you're yeah. you're well like what's 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 some advice you can give them to if they wanted to be a pro cyclist like what's their next step they're training they're racing um what's going to take them to that next level yeah especially like hey, when you're in that 14 to 8 18 year uh year year group it's really important like to hey, keep keep your mind fresh also do like other sports because the thing like you see and, and you see that also a lot in Europe with like kids being super, super, super focused on one thing, only ride bikes, give up everything else when they're 14, 15. And then you kind of like, let's say like then you have half a year like when it's it's just not, not rolling well. Like you get bad results, you get flat tires on like crappy moments. And then like it hits really hard and mentally as well saying like, oh shit, it's not going well maybe i should do something else maybe I should do this and i think my biggest advice especially in that age would be like also just to do other sports and just ride your bike for fun because i never rode with the attention to turn pro when i was like 15 16 years old we were just 
go out on the Friday night or just drink or uh, just eat French fries and like crappy food and do a bike race on Saturday. And I might win or lose the bike race. And then after the race, we would just, I don't know, race go-karts or motorcycles or just do, do other things, you know, like instead of, because once, once, yeah, my trainer told me when I signed my first contract, when I first, first got paid to race, it was like, until this point, it was always a hobby, but now it's a job. And a job is not always fun. And being able to, to race your bike for a bike for money is like the sickest thing there is. But keep in mind, like, you always have to go. Also, when you don't feel so well, or when the weather is shitty, or when there's something else, and you have to give up a lot for that. And when you're like young and you have a goal, it might be might be easier to do. But then realizing when you're maybe a little bit older, say like, oh shit, I've gave, I've given up. I've given up a lot. And I think if you ask a lot of professional riders, like, hey, what was your nicest time in your career? 90% will say the time in the juniors. Just do whatever I want, train two, three times a week, just have fun with, with some friends on the bike and just do races in the weekend. And that's that's something like I see, and you see way more juniors, of course the level goes up, but like they train 20, 25 hours a week. I remember like I was I was winning races on the highest level in the Netherlands. I trained on a Tuesday and a Wednesday afternoon. On a Tuesday and Thursday afternoon. And I did, did like an easy spin on the on the Friday or the Saturday, depends on which day the race was. Yeah. And then, then I got in the under-23s and I was like, oh shit, maybe I have to train a little bit more. And then I started to train every day. And then I was like, second year on the 23. And then I kind of like, oh, some people also came up to me like, hey, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe the opportunity can arise eh, to, to, to get a good contract somewhere. And yeah, then you kind of like have to make the switch like, okay, now eh, then I went, went all, all in for it and then managed to, managed to eh, also become, become a pro rider. But then you're like, at one point, like it's, it always used to be a hobby and then it wasn't a job anymore. It's still, it's the best job in the world, but especially for young kids, I would say like, just have, have, the, have the most fun you can have on a bike and just race different disciplines. Yeah. Like don't think like, oh, I'm a mountain bike. I only do a mountain bike. Just sign up for a road race sign up for an enduro race if you happen to live close to a track do some track races if you if there's a cyclocross race just do do a cyclocross race and it's not that you have to win in every discipline but like just do all kinds of uh, kinds of different things and 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 i think another thing that's really important and especially in in the off-road racing and that's something that has helped me a, a lot of my career is being able to wrench on your bikes yourself I know also many, many guys who are like pros in the, hey, in the road peloton, they can swap an inner tube and that's it. And that's something that has helped me a lot over the years. And especially like in Europe, it's also super competitive. And also still when you have a contract with a team and they just, the team pays you, but you just have to be ready for the races, but your materials as well. And of course the team has mechanics and the team has everything, but in the end, the rider is always the final, uh, final has the final responsibility for his materials, and that's something like, especially when you're a young kid, or let's say your dad, or your or your grandfather, or whatever, anybody does always makes your bikes perfect, or you always go to the local bike shop, or you have a there's a team mechanic who always does your bike. Understand why he does what, but especially be able to do your own bike and run over your bike every day for before a race. Because like, that's the thing, like as a rider, you're always responsible for your own results. 
which also includes your materials. Mm-hmm. Like you're as good as like if, if, if your bike falls apart every time, you can be so strong, but you never win a race. Yeah. So, and, and that's something I've seen a lot over, over my career. It's, it's always the same riders who have material issues. It's always the same. And they can be so strong riders and they can, they can win, win a bunch of races, but it's always the same guys with material problems. The crank falling off, a pedal being loose, a shifter not being tight. Uh, it's always the same. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's something I would, I would just tell all the, young, all the young kids, like be able to wrench on your own bike. And it doesn't matter if you make a mistake or if you break something. Of course, it, it, it sucks if you would break something on your bike, but know like what every part does, how it functions and how you can repair it yourself. Because yeah, when you're older, there will be a situation when you're like, oh shit, I'm, I have to do this like big training tomorrow. I have this race and my bike is broken and it's five o'clock and the bike shops are closed. And what do I do now? Yeah, that's good advice. And yeah. especially, you know, I see it a lot. Kids are training like 24-year-olds, oh, 26-year-olds. Yeah. You know, at, at a young age, your body is still developing. Mm-hmm. And my advice, too, is get in the gym, gain some muscle, you know, allow the body to adapt to strength first Mm -hmm. and then endurance. Because if you just force endurance on the body, you're, you're going to be 26 and you're going to like, you're going to be done cycling because you're burnt out first Mm -hmm. off. And then also you're going to be like, okay, well I want to start lifting your bodies. It's too late. Mm -hmm. You won't be able to gain muscle. Like, um, I mean, I, from my experience, I built muscle when I was 15, 16, 17 years old, and then I got into endurance. Now, if I wanted to get back into the gym and gain strength again, it's very easy because my body has been there before and can yeah. get, get there again. But if your body has never been there and has been in a deficit its whole life, it, you know, so it's just a thing to build the body up first and then, yeah. or to incorporate weight training while you're still trying to chase you know good results on the bike i think it's super important to to get in the gym yeah especially like when when you're a young rider also realize that like hey as you say like your body might make up big changes and also like hey like contracts are being given given out at a later age so and when you're 15 16 17 you're so um you're so so growing much yourself that like you can win all the races when you're 14, 15, just because you're the biggest guy out there. But if you stop growing at 16 and all the other guys just keep growing a little bit until like 20 something, you won't win any race anymore until like the contracts are being given out. And that's also what I want to say with like juniors or like young riders, if you train so much hours already now, like when you come to like the age where you really have to be delivering and performing, how much more can you do? Yeah. Well, and you've spent so many years training mm-hmm. that by the time you get a contract and it becomes a job, like you were saying, it's yeah. not a hobby anymore. You were treating it like a job for so long and yep. then it's finally not a job or finally not a hobby. How is it going to, you know, look at, at that point? You know, yeah. it's, it's going to be too much. Yeah. Um, and you see a lot with like, 
and I see that a lot around me as well, especially yeah, with the kids who've always been so so super disciplined and so strictly trained. Of course, you have to be disciplined. You have to be strict, but training like put in the 20, 25 hour weeks from like when they're juniors already, like as, as you said, they, they'll, they'll be burned out pretty quick. And now I see guys around me, like for example, yeah, I ride a lot now with, with Nicky Turps. So he's like, I think he's too... 32 end of his 30s i think he was like a pro for 16 17 years on the road those guys are just such a huge amount of passion for the bike they just they just love what they're doing and like then it also doesn't really feel feel like a job at most of the points but certainly you know like oh shit like hey once you come in that step like you have to then it's it's it becomes a have to and not a oh i can do yeah and that's that's something i just want to tell like especially all the all the younger kids and just like just go out and have fun and just shred around where you want to want to do and like build trails build build jumps just do crazy thing it doesn't matter if you if you crash or 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 have some problems or break some bikes i broke a lot of materials when i was younger i had some nasty crashes but they're kind of like you have to know also a little bit where the limits are and just like in the end you just like the fun factor is 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 for me has always been the biggest driver to do it and now as well like to be honest i have like more like my best days on the bikes is just like a four or five hour ride when it's nice weather you're just cruising a little bit around the mountains stop somewhere for like a sandwich or a coffee and come back home and then you do like really good trainings but then i just look around like guys this is the best office in the world you can have mm-hmm. and then if you do those really really hard trainings then you know like okay i'm just gonna ride out well, now here in the US, like the training roads and facilities are a bit different than in Europe. So you do a lot of like the same laps and the same roads to do your intervals on. Like then I'm just doing like 400 plus watts on straights on a road, turn around, do 400 watt blocks, turn around. So you just ride the same road up and down. Like, yeah. Then, you know, like hey, for me, the, the biggest driver and passion to start riding my bike is just to wander around with a bike. like. Just, oh, hey, let's see that. What's going on? Let's see what's on the other side of the mountains right over it. To adventure. Yeah, and I just yeah. happen to to be to be able to to win a lot of races and 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 get a contract for it. But if I wouldn't wouldn't have turned pro, I would still be riding bikes. And I've seen also a lot of guys who were pro for one, two, three, four years maybe. As soon as the contract wasn't renewed anymore and the bikes had to go back to the team, they didn't even bought bought a bike back themselves really so then you've been a pro for 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 a few years and then well you're out of contract you have to find a real job and didn't touch a bike anymore then in my mind it's, it's like with with how much like passion or like just adventure or with how much like joy were you riding then all those years yeah if after the after the pro thing stuff like you're not riding anymore yeah so that that's something like i just and also, like for for young kids, like I, I always tell them, like don't give up on too much. Because then now, if I look back, and also if you speak with other person, like I'm 27 now, and to be super honest, like I gave I gave up everything, everything. I've not spent Christmas at home with my parents for 10 years. I never spent a New Year's Eve at home for 10 years. I wasn't. My own birthday was always. I, I have my birthday in the summer, in the middle of the summer. I've never had a party or never anything. It was just always in a race or in a, in a, in a bus to a race. or just, you know, you just give up so much. And then if I think I, if I would have looked back, looked back now, I would have done something, things different. And especially in the beginning of my career, like 
when you're like young, it doesn't matter like if you skip a day of training, eh? If your yeah. body said like, hey, let's go out to, let's go swimming in summer, let's go swimming at this lake, or let's go fishing or whatever. Like, oh no, sorry, I have to go four hours of training and then I'm just gonna rest and lay on the couch. Like, just cycle to the lake two hours, go swimming with all your mates and then just call it a day or just don't ride at all. Because yeah, that's, uh, especially when you're a little bit older, then you will cherish those moments way more. And I think that's, that's something I could have done way different at the beginning of my, my career. But of course, hey, you're, it, it's really hard. You make steps, you're getting better, uh, you got contracts and, and yeah, especially like in Europe, you're a lot in the media and it's all big and everybody knows you and you think like, oh shit, I'm going to be the next, next, back, the next big thing. But cycling is also not a sport where you become like a multimillionaire with uh, as quick as it might be in American football or any other sport. So that, that's something like, yeah, I'm, I'm just giving up everything for like a minimum wage pro contract which of course i have the it's it's the dream job in the world but yeah if uh if you would say like let's say this week i have uh, next week let's say i have a five hour road ride you say like okay let's drive up the truck let's go shred some trails on mount mingus i wouldn't even hesitate 10 seconds to just like leave my road bike at home take the mountain bike and just send it for three four hours and then yeah see how we feel afterwards yeah yeah and the bike is meant for adventure. I think that's yeah. what it was first originally designed to do was it's an outlet and a tool yep. to move on earth way quicker than your two feet, you know, and it's a really cool tool and it's a fun tool, especially when you throw a hundred millimeter fork on the front <laughs> and, and you have full suspension, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's super interesting. I think a bunch of listeners are going to, you know, take that to heart, you know, don't, yeah. don't take it too seriously right now. If no, you're, no. yeah, if you're, if you're young and God, still in high school, especially man, fucking yeah. go explore everything there has to be about being 16 and 17 and 18. Like, oh yeah, you got so much ahead of you. And if you, if you really have the talent and if you're really good enough on the bike, you will make it. Yeah. You don't have to train 25 hours a week no. to take up first place. You can do that with three days of training go ski if you're yeah. in flagstaff go shred yeah yeah go surf if you're in california yeah go play football go yeah go tackle some people yeah i, I i've pl- i've been playing guitar now for 14 years i started playing even before i was uh, racing and i played in a lot of bands before and i when i just when i started to do my first race i was still in a band so I was sometimes we would just play on the Friday or the Saturday evening, and I would race on the Sunday. Dang! I, I have to say I did that for half a year, and then I was then I couldn't then I had to kind of like had to choose. I was like, okay, I can play music for a very long time after this, and uh, but yeah, it's as you said, like it's it's a bike is an outlet, and eventually it's it's given me a yeah super unique opportunity to travel all over the world. I've I've won uh, races in almost every continent of the world. Except for uh, South America, so yeah, I've been many times to China, Australia, Mongolia. Well, I've seen every weird corner of Europe. Now I've been to the U.S. a few times, and now I'm sitting here in, in Cottonwood. We're sitting up against Mount Mingus, recording a podcast, and yeah. in good old Arizona. Like my family or my friends have never been to the U.S. Yeah, so it, it's it's given you some cool cool experiences. Oh yeah, yeah. And I'm just here riding, riding a mountain bike around and uh, just Enjoy. enjoying life. Enjoy it. Well, dude, 
It's been such a pleasure having you on the podcast. We'll uh, we'll we'll take it take it down. Um, it's been about an hour. I like to keep the podcast okay, around because yeah. my my attention span when I'm listening to podcasts yeah. is like an hour ten. And okay, I'm okay. Like, all right, I'm done. Um, and plus, we got to text Greg too. He's probably just at the house slaving away all day. I know he wants to. He also wants to be on a podcast. I know. No, he doesn't. Oh, he doesn't want to be on a podcast. He hates talking, man. (laughs) But Greg's the owner of Very Valley Bicycle Company. He's coming over here shortly. But guys, this is Gose. He is the man. Getting ready for Cape (laughs) Epic. Um, And any last words for the listeners? Well, uh, if anybody has any questions or whatever, uh, send uh, send Quinn a message. We might do a second episode or I might call in some European riders. So, uh, oh, let me know if you have some favorite uh, Dutch or Belgian uh, riders and uh, let's see how far the network can come if we can call some people. Yeah, in. yeah. Guys, Stoke Podcast on Instagram. Shoot me with some people you would like to hear from. I think Gose has some serious resource capabilities um so we could probably get some cool people on the podcast if you have any questions please also stoke podcast let me know on instagram so we'll do a q a this is not gose's first and last episode so we'll be doing some more but and also uh, if you're a young rider no matter from from the us or europe or wherever you come uh, yeah always feel free to to send me a message or you have any questions or from from racing program to what you have to eat or like if you think of buying a new bike or just just anything uh, yeah just shoot me a message uh, message online and uh, I'm I'm always open to uh, to help you give some advice uh, wherever I can or just uh, have a chat uh, about what you uh, how, how your how your career is going cool and well, I'll put your Instagram in the show notes of the right. of the podcast so people can get direct access to your yeah. Instagram account. So they'll, they'll send you some messages. But guys, like always, stay stoked. This was Gose. I'm stoked. Still <laughs> stoked. I'm still stoked. Yeah. All right. That's a wrap. Nice. <laughs>